0: yes 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 it's on once again it's on hi i'm wearing an undershirt even though fall and winter are a thing right now my name is nick this is nick Flanagan weekly thank you so much for listening i appreciate it please don't tune out yesterday's episode kind of shabby audio every once in a while i'll throw you some rough audio hopefully not that rough so if you're tuning in After my rough audio look, I appreciate it. Stick with me. It's not always going to be so rough. And, you know, we used to listen to indie rock and cassette tapes that were dubbed from a dub. We know about bad audio. And it is nostalgic (laughs) and sentiment. No, I mean, I really hate it when I bought bad audio. And I'll tell you exactly why. I'm here to share with you some facts. Uh, Sometimes I record my podcast on video on QuickTime. And uh, I'll forget to actually alter uh, the mic from like the laptop mic to my wonderful expensive microphone and pop screen and all kinds of weirdness. Got all kinds of weirdness going on to get good sound. And uh, then it'll have weird sound. And then I send it to Andy, the producer, and I say, can you help me with this? And he'll say, kinda, but you can't fix stupid. He won't say you can't fix stupid. He's not that kind of guy at all. Very sensitive. Andy, support Andy. Support, support, support Andy. We have a guest today on the podcast. His name is Michael Rancic. He is one of the founders of New Feelings. New Feeling. I confuse it because New Feelings is Victoria Chong, who actually was a guest on this podcast as well. So this is New Feeling, a uh, music writing collective. Focused strictly on emerging Canadian music. Pretty awesome. Of all, you know, obscure, it might be the wrong word, but high-end, let's say. This is solid, interesting stuff, and they want to cover it and get the word out on that. And I think it's awesome, which is why I asked Michael to be a guest on the podcast. There are many involved with uh, New Feeling who I am familiar with. They're all great writers. It's an excellent project. Uh, We talk about it. We talk about a lot of stuff, but we definitely get into New Feeling, so you'll learn a lot about it listening to the podcast. You can also go to their Twitter, go to their website at newfeeling.ca, and uh, check them out pretty much everywhere. and You can find Michael, his work on the Bandcamp Daily, the Fader, Now Magazine. Uh, Full disclosure, he has written about, I think, Wrong Hole, the band I was in, the band I am in band i was in what am i talking about i'm in the band is my second music journalist in like a month i just realized Josiah hughes ah uh, you know i got a soft spot i once was a journalist and oh boy the stories i have i have no stories maybe i have a couple anyway michael's got stories he really is uh uh, you know, it's just an interesting talk, especially in this new era. I feel like we just touched, scratched the surface of it. So hopefully I can keep having more writers, journalists and artists and we can talk about what it's like uh, mid pandemic trying to make this uh, creative stuff happen. And uh, enjoy the interview. Be sure to check out newfeeling.ca and check out their October issue at that website, which is coming out October 15th which is Thursday, October 15th. Go on to newfeeling.ca and uh, support them if you can, however you can. Here's Michael Rancic. Oh, did I mention I want you to enjoy it?
1: Yep, I've heard that. I haven't seen that before. Lovely.
0: Rancic. Rancic? Rancic, yeah. Rancic. Uh, you've see oh, you so you've heard the podcast before yeah, yeah, that's cool. What made you investigate it? The- uh
1: well, I mean, you and I have like followed each other for a while oh, um, yeah. so I've like checked in every now and again when you had somebody like that I've been interested to to hear and um, I, I I hear your your improvised sing song talents
0: and sometimes the person you've wanted to hear i don't mean to brag has actually been me yeah yeah i've listened to the solo episodes too that's cool you know i love it i love that i love i have a lot of this podcast is interesting to me because it's like i don't know how to describe it like peers you know like peers or people who go through the same kind of craziness uh creative people who are in You know, who've been stuck in the same kind of system since before the pandemic. And ironically, many of whom are actually doing uh, subsisting more under the pandemic because most of the time because of the country we're in. But even in the U.S., I mean, can you imagine if you were someone getting like from some unemployment, like even six hundred dollars a week like U.S.? I mean, I know that they're still screwed because of the cost of living, but uh, that's a lot of money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So they were getting that, they're they're getting that much a week with unemployment. I thought they got like a straight check and then that was it. They
0: got a straight check and then they got for about eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks, $600 a week, plus the unemployment amount they were owed. And like people like Bernie Sanders were fighting for that to be ongoing. And if that had been ongoing, it would have really blown away. what the subsidy that we get in Canada, which pretty much covers, you know, rent and, and groceries if we're lucky, you know, which is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I
1: guess if you live somewhere else, like I, I was hearing from a friend that like, if you're in Winnipeg, it's like w- way more than enough to to live off of, but like in, in Toronto, it's um, barely enough to sort of scrape by. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, for freelancers though, they recently did something where uh, we can actually make a living as well. Yes, Sir. so uh, or as well as get the subsidy uh, to an extent, obviously, but even if you go over their minimum, you get like taxed on it i mean it's it's generous, and isn 't that a crazy thing like i mean i I guess I should have you why don 't before we get into our because i 'm all tangents half the time uh, yeah, maybe three quarters of the time, but I am trying desperately to get uh, on track thematically with my guests, just to remind them that i respect what they do not just who they are what they do and uh and also i think the viewer and listener probably can follow it more you know so so this is me broadening to the sort of drew barrymore show (laughs) (laughs) when are you when are you having tom green on uh hopefully i feel like i could get tom green on I should get Tom Green on. That'd be an amazing episode. You almost have a young Tom Green look going on. Uh, I will take that as a compliment, thank you. You're welcome, it it is a compliment, I think. I think Tom Green is a little bit, uh, he's a little bit misunderstood, you know, a little bit. He's got a good heart, I think. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, But he was influential, you know? Like, specifically in Canada as well. Like, I remember when he was doing the cable access in uh, Ottawa, how, you know, amazing that was. I feel like that was really, for me, the sweet spot of uh, it kind of, you know, me really loving Tom Green. That and Freddie Got Fingered, of course.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, yeah, it, it totally changed. Like, I didn't really have much of a relationship to comedy or like comedy programming on tv at the time and then like seeing him on basic cable just like evading mall security guards was it really resonated with me as a team
0: the one where it was like actually i don't even think it was snowing outside i think it was warm in ottawa and he had skis and the poles just in the you know bank street or whatever and just kept falling down on the skis around people and uh yeah so did you did you grow up uh in that era then or was it i guess it wouldn't have been after did you grow up in ottawa by any chance no i grew
1: up in mississauga but it was it was on tv when i was like just coming out of i guess middle school and
0: and into high school so i was probably like maybe like two or three years older and uh it's the same same deal yeah Hmm. and uh but yes why don't do you want me to tell them what you do or would you like why don't you tell me what why don't you tell me about what you do what you what you like doing it can be various things you know and when i say what you do i don't mean it like at a party and you get you feel uncomfortable what do you do you know i just mean it's kind of a setup like i know what the answer is already is
1: right uh i'm a freelance writer uh specifically around music and, and culture and I've written for uh, Now Magazine and uh, this magazine and um, many different outlets in in, uh, The Walrus, lots of different places. Uh, I've been freelancing full-time now for about five years. Um, And yeah, I write predominantly about emerging Canadian musicians. Um, And I guess now, more recently, I am a co-founder of new feeling which is a uh, cooperative of music journalists in canada and uh aside from those things uh i'm a husband uh <laughs> it's good to know yeah uh, i play d and d
0: for the ladies to know yeah Forget it. and Off limits. and the fellas they could marry you too but you can't because you're married and we do all kinds of marriages but we don't allow multiple marriages yet Not yet. Might happen. So you're a husband. Keep I like this. Where's this going? Let's let's just get more and more social. Uh sure. Uh you um do you have a driver's license?
1: I do. I uh but I don't drive very often. Uh we we did rent a car recently and that was like a nice thing. Um just I don't know about you if you if do you drive? Yes uh, it's, it's, it's like a rare treat now. And so when we do have a car, we'll like take it on the the loop. So drive around the Gardener and then up the DVP and then across the 401 and then down the 427 in that loop, usually at night.
0: Oh yeah. The only thing is the day, uh, has this one positive to it when you're driving, which around, uh, the Don Mills area, which is just like that view when you, Yes. The bridge and the bridge under it and the nice trees, you know, but it's funny you say that. Like when I came back to Toronto in 2018 um, from LA, I just, that was where I did the most of my driving. I probably got my driver's license 10, 10 years ago, which is somewhat late, but kind of around the same time, my the age that my mother did and my dad never drive, drove, drived. And uh, yeah. So, but it was in Los Angeles that I really did the most driving. And then when I came back, I was like, not just really used to more used to driving, but I was more used to lo- long trips. So mm-hmm. it really led me to like spend the most atten- amount of time I have in, you know, Mississauga where where you're from and Scarborough and, and Brampton and all these places mostly like thrifting, but uh, it was, and, and eating neat food, uh, you know, so, so that was great. And I think that that's something about the city that people maybe my age or you know or your age like didn't like register until later just because transit and learning how to drive and getting cars was such an ongoing thing that now if you want housing you probably are better off going you know a little external of downtown uh maybe and uh and and so it's it's widened you know and now and and it's it's kind of cool it's also kind of weird i don't know why it's weird it just it just is weird yeah I, I i like living
1: here for the past like i guess over like 10 years now i, I haven't had much need for a car so i i i like started exploring the city in different ways like on my bike and stuff and i like the freedom of that cuz i could just sort of like stop wherever i want um and you know explore i like that aspect of it
0: oh yeah but i mean i i bike but Again, biking is kind of different now because, especially since the pandemic, there's this weird kind of double-edged sword that's been happening where our mayor is using this as a period of time, you know, to like experiment, like with uh, a lot of bike stuff and a lot of some amount of pedestrian stuff. Some I like, some I, some I, I think is, well, mostly I like it, really. Like there's a new bike lane that just goes all the way across the city on Bloor Street, and it's a total... It's totally amazing, you know, and and uh, yeah, that's you can really get from Mississauga to Scarborough that way, pretty much.
1: Yeah, it opens up things a lot uh, easier. Like it's more accessible to cyclists, whereas like it feels like, and even it's just like a line on the pavement. It's not even like dividing lines or like concrete barriers like they would have in like New York or uh, Montreal. But um, even that, yeah, just it just makes you feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more like secure. Just Biking anywhere.
0: I used to just hate biking because I'd come out of it feeling like um, adrenalized in a in a bad way. You know, now it's a lot less than that, and I think it's cool to know how to drive and to bike as well because you know it just gives you more of a perspective on the whole thing and how.
1: Yeah, yeah. I found um, I don't know. I starting out as a, like a driver and then like transitioning to cycling in the city, um, I brought a lot of that aggression with me at first and then, I don't know, I just had like a change of, of I don't know, uh, it, it changed me some somehow because I just started realizing that like what I was doing was a bit unsafe and I just started to like pull back and you know, if if, if something felt not right or if I was, like, getting angry about something just to, like, stop. It's so easy to just stop on your bike and, like, take a second. Um, And I avoid a lot of that stuff now. And I'm also a a lot more perceptive of of it and just giving people space when I am in a car.
0: Yeah, and I'm the same way, although every once in a while I'll do something because I'll be like, I know I'm being careful. And then the person (laughs) will be like, you're kind of close to me, you jerk. And I'll be like, no, 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 I know Yesterday I had a thing in the car where, you know, I, I wound up going, following a map and having to like, in the middle of rush hour, kind of like turn without a light into a busy intersection, classic auto map problem. And I had to go out into the street, you know, but they always block the intersection during rush hour, the cars, even though that's fully illegal. Yep. And uh, I kind of blocked the intersection, the pedestrian, who was on his phone, his air, AirPods was like, was like, nice, good choice, man. And I'm like, I roll down my window. I go, you know, this is hard. This is not easy. You know, <laughs> it's like he still had room to go around me from the back. I you got to get you got to do something. We so some amount of like, uh, I hate the word empathy, empathy, just because it's, I don't know, just feels like people overuse it, but uh some level of understanding of everyone's position in all of this feels uh important do you find there's like anger in the in in this city that is like a specific kind uh like do you find people are mad in this city or is it just that i'm mad
1: um i think it's easy to be mad in those situations like it's it there's like a pool of anger that you can it's easier for you to access when you're in a situation like that. I don't find like people are mad in situations outside of that, like asking somebody for directions or, you know, just like interacting with people on the street. I don't, they're kind of in their own little world a bit, but um, as far as like that, those specific interactions where you're like either biking or driving and you're the interaction between pedestrian and, and uh, and, uh, cars, it's just, yeah, there's something there that uh I, I feel like the city's not really like we were built as like a smaller city. I don't think there was ever intention oh, yeah. of like growing to the size that we're at now. And so like it's not it's not great for cars and it's not great for it's not safe for pedestrians at all.
0: Yeah, it requires some overhauling and uh the again, the sort of city shutdown is um kind of allowing for some of that overhauling and i i I was thinking about it like with the those bike lanes everybody complains oh well you know no one's gonna be able to park so our uh foot traffic's gonna suck and it's like then this happens and right you know what people are gonna be happier biking to you than necessarily foot traffic is bad now and uh or or frowned upon but nobody can see the frown because mask ideally (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah that is nice although it's awkward when you're like trying to buy a coffee or just go to a store and like you're trying to <laughs> intimate that you're not like an angry person
0: <laughs> Oh God. um yeah i mean you know i really i'm constantly trying to intimate that and it just fails as soon as i'm hit with any roadblock they go they'll be like you know we don't actually take uh you don't have Diners Express. And I'll go. I'll go. You don't take the card. The only card I got. What kind of a two-bit operation is this? Yeah, But then I go on, uh, you know, some neighborhood Facebook group or next door, uh, the app, and uh, I see so many people frustrated by similar, <laughs> inane, unjustifiable reasons. And I, am I go. This is my tribe. <laughs> my tribe. What about that expression? Is finding your tribe uh, like one of those expressions, like spirit animal, where it's like maybe we shouldn't say?
1: It? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Any a lot of that like motivational like businessy talk is like just really straight up bad. Like like uh, let's have a powwow. Wow. A lot of that's just just not cool.
0: Yeah, they'll be like uh, the CEO has gone off the reservation, and it's like unless. You Are a company based on a native reserve, right? Maybe you shouldn't say it. Same thing with a powwow, <laughs> unless you're sort of a tribal council that is also a company and the context calls for a powwow. Is it awkward that I'm I can say powwow, right? Though, like, I don't think I think so. can't not say the word.
1: I don't think it's offensive in and of itself. I think it's 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 just the way that the term has been like misappropriated.
0: Yeah. What uh, what do do you find that in uh, your freelance writing and your writing that uh, wording and phrasing and k- the care that you have to put into sort of description or framing people, especially as a I just in people are listening to this, uh, he's Michael's Caucasian.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my white dude. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think I've become more aware of that. But then also, like, like writing about punk certainly um, has, has influenced me in that way. Like, speaking to some of the, the younger kids who, who know way more than I do about, like, navigating a lot of this stuff. Like, that was my first interaction with, like, asking people their pronouns, was interviewing kids in, like, VCR and all of the similar, like like... VCR, that's good stuff yeah yeah Um, uh, but like that sort of era of, of um punk performer really like and speaking to them really changed how i how i approach my my journalism and now like i start every interview by asking people what their what their pronouns are uh so they have that on on record um and then it's just like out of the way and super easy to ask and um but like as far as like the like language and stuff yeah but usually what i do for that um, I, I will, if there's something that I'm like specifically interested in, I'll ask, you know, is this a, the right term to use for this thing? Um, uh, and then sometimes I'll ask people, like if I, if I'm a fish out of water, like sometimes I will branch out of music and write about something, uh, related to my interests, like labor or,
0: or um, like harm reduction or something like that. Yeah. So something more uh, socially relevant, uh, political, perhaps in nature.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I interviewed like uh, harm reduction workers or um, I, recently for TVO, I, I, I spoke to s- sex workers and how they were affected by, by COVID. And um, in those instances, I've asked about like language and You know things to avoid and people are usually pretty open about that stuff
0: yeah i mean it's interesting if i because i've done you know freelance writing as well uh i never turned it into the sole breadwinner or maybe i did for like a brief period you know but it wasn't like husband money making (laughs) and uh ideally hopefully husband hopefully it's a shared money thing uh but but yeah uh, you know what would make me uncomfortable about asking about pronouns is I asked someone about their pronouns and then they kind of went on a rant or something, you know? Yeah. And they were like, oh, and then have you had that? And then if you had something like that, would you want to report that? Like, you know, I, I, right. Yeah. I, I uh, no, I've never had that. Um, uh,
1: no, I, I mean, it's it's always been received with like either understanding or there's like some level of confusion so i've asked like uh, older especially with an older generation i'll ask like what are, your, what are your pronouns and then some people will say like mr or doctor they like what they think what, what's the like
0: title that's the original pronoun yeah. Except for the fact i guess in the old days a lot of those were male like you know doctor it's not really male but i feel like men were doctors for a long time not saying there's that's right I just think in the 1800s, you'd probably find more male doctors. And that's for sure why we didn't have as much medical advancement in the 1800s, frankly. Until Mary it was a pretty, pretty tough time in the 1800s. Keller, Keller, Mary Curie, Laura Secord, uh, Rose, those three social doctors, some of them, but still it counts. Yeah uh but
1: yeah no I haven't had um much like pushback or people like going on a rant or whatever so um I mean if it was if it turned into that I think I probably would put it in the story because that's like a shitty thing to do but like I, um most of the time like people are pretty understanding about like what I'm
0: asking and and it's a simple question Yeah yeah um I know really the answer that you gave, even that nobody's really saying that is, is the best reasoning for asking it, you know, because you, you know, there's a neurosis and then you find out it's kind of unfounded. And even if it was founded, like you said, you could write about it. Um, Although sometimes, you know, I just think we live in an era now where if we're talking about, you know, correcting people in articles or sort of bringing up social challenges sometimes, it's really hard for it not to immediately become adversarial, you know, and then yep. you kind of stir that up. I don't know what the um, I, it's hard for me to tell like the benefit versus um, conflict level is of that. Like, it would have to be done with as much care as actually asking the pronouns if that makes any sense. That's
1: no, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I had, um, like, one of the most difficult interviews I've ever had to do was um, I spoke to the Arkells because on Twitter I had accused them of, like, kind of a bit of, like, cultural appropriation in terms of them using a lot of, like, black music and black backup vocalists in their in their stuff. Um, and, you know, just it's sort of like like relying a lot on like the soul kind of sound with a lot of horns right and
0: lead type of uh, lifestyle, you know, like.
1: Yeah. And then even going so far as like for their, their uh, music videos uh, shooting on like a well-known um, on the Esplanade, uh, there's like a basketball court there that the city put in uh, that's like used for a lot of rap videos. And it's like, tied to a lot of like the young hip-hop artists now and like they specifically went and filmed at that site because they knew it was an importantly like hip-hop like relevant yeah place Very to cool film
0: history of that area because that's what i would need to contextualize it that's one of the earliest sort of like housing co-op uh housing you, i wouldn't even call it like housing areas of the city it's incredible it's historical and it has an energy that you feel no matter what and it's it's actually part of the foundation of why anyone would go to that god-awful east side, <laughs> uh, <laughs> downtown east side, you know, not not Vancouver style, but just because that's like a very built up kind of gross, uh, you know, techy area. But once you get to, um, I believe it's on the es- front street or it's on the Esplanade. Yeah, the Esplanade. To the um, certain other, other areas like, like going south, but it's, uh, you know, it's kind of place I went to as a child to to see friends who live there and stuff and it's uh maybe you did too and, and and um like it's it's a lot of the time those kinds of issues that that really sometimes context is key but go on please perhaps you will say what i just kind of teased well that and and i think
1: it's a lot different when you like i think we're so used to like online interactions and how combative that can be whereas Um, speaking to them in person a it was clear that they had thought about this stuff um, and they had some really thoughtful answers and responses to the kinds of questions that I put to them Um, and it was really difficult for me like maybe probably one of the most difficult things I've had to do as a writer um, because I'm just used to like this this sort of like cycle of Promoting things for other people uh, and not really like I I can be critical and often am in like uh, Or like a distance way like criticizing politicians or labels or Factor grants stuff like that, but uh, like actually getting into the same room as an artist Is very different.
0: Well that actually kind of leads into this other thing. I I wanted to ask you about Um, although uh, which which is just that you know this is an era where now be you, you know media uh can be especially whatever you want to call it independent media or just freelancers uh can really be thrown to the wolves in social media context because artists you know are justifiably sensitive because as you found out with the Arcals well they've given thought to this and they have their own story and they didn't just arrive at being something that is criticizable they you know it all kind of got there and for whatever reasons you know and and uh but the 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 other side of that is they get angry and they have you know a hundred thousand followers on something, thing and suddenly you're getting attacked and in a worst case scenario people might be contacting your employer maybe you did do something wrong, not you maybe someone did word something wrong and and yes this is coming <laughs> from something well i've experienced this because i have done a lot of freelance writing over the years and and music writing and it's funny you mentioned the critical thing too because like at some point especially with live shows i was just like what am i being like i am one of many people at this show many of whom seem to be enjoying it you know so uh, you know what am i here to do burst a fan base's bubble even though like like there's maybe there's there's room for that, but I think you have to be cautious about that. And, you know, um, you said you come from a punk, punk perspective, right? And a lot of punk or uh, zines and reviews were really just documenting. We're really just recapping, you know, and and uh, so when I was writing at now magazine, I remember feeling that shift because when I was first brought in, it was really to say like a funny kind of like snarky thing about all kinds of groups and uh, it, it it was kind of fun but then in retrospect i didn't really like doing it you know i didn't want to continue doing that because it just felt like, what was i doing however most of the time i've gotten pushback from people i have to say it's like i felt it was pretty unjustified you know and and um, but not ever not all the time but a lot of the time just because there's so much ego that's involved in getting angry ab- like there's so much that's tied you're basically People feel like you're messing with their money or that you're mad that they, you know, like they'll just say no because they they have an ultimate understanding. But really, you're talking about the clarity of what they know about themselves might not like they know they do might not actually be clear in the presentation, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I I think there's like a a, like a generational shift uh, in terms of like how people like see and value criticism because. even talking to like younger journalists, I call what I do criticism and that doesn't imply that I'm being negative, but that's the implication that the word criticism has for a lot of people now. It's um, like
0: we've gotten dumber as the society is what you're... There's a little bit of that. And I think there's just like a, like, I think the internet
1: has changed our relationship to criticism and like, you know, there's no, there's no built-in structure on Facebook to dislike something you... Mm. Like it, you love it, you care for it, you I don't know the other things, but
0: yours means you don't like it sometimes, or a mocking laugh like a laugh emoji for the wrong status is sort of mocking
1: right, right well, yeah really there's, 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 <laughs> there's a threshold now of 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 emotions, and you can you can take a little bit more advantage of that, but I think like when it first started it, like with Twitter and stuff, you can just fave things you can't really
0: totally, totally yeah
1: and and i think that's changed the way that we think about like people thrive on like getting that positive reaffirmation back to them and when that's interrupted or when someone questions something and like demands a little bit more thought or a conversation there's no no one's prepared for it
0: yeah and and so and and we are such a rea- reactive uh society now um that it's, uh, it, it's like standard to kind of have that defensive reaction. I mean, uh, and, and I just want to walk back one thing because I was like, oh, we've gotten dumber society. I don't even know if that's true. I just think <laughs> a lot more shorthand, you know? And, and so sometimes because things are in shorthand, you know, like you go criticism and people go, oh, like criticizing Taylor Swift. And you're like, no. Yeah, but then they're like I uh, don't she's really great she does she actually knows how to ride a horse did you know she's equestrian I don't know but um yeah so so I I think that it's like our associations with words like you said have just become pretty poisoned you know and or at least uh I just liked it when words had more than one meaning and you could use it contextually and people would, would Sort of understand it in a widespread manner you know I, it really does feel like when you're when you're in like high school and you'd say something and, and someone would misunderstand it and it would feel like they were intentionally doing it and you know right i mean a big problem is it all just feels like high school now
1: yeah i was surprised at how long that feeling lasted people would tell me that like once you're out of high school it's so different but like no people still behave that way
0: <laughs> yeah, i mean it's since twitter and stuff you know I, I feel like there was a period where it wasn't maybe yeah I, uh it was happening more so when i was in bands you know because i was started being in bands from high school you know there was an element of this kind of like competitiveness and writing things off and and all this stuff that was you know a bit more negative than i necessarily anticipated and a bit more of uh fear of like being tainted you know like idea wise you know like thinking oh if i'm influenced or affected by this you know i won't have my own voice you know and then it's just just doesn't really as i aged i just thought oh, it doesn't really work like that but that being said i don't really do music regularly anymore. So maybe I should be more, uh, anti every, anti. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so you say you're saying I shouldn't go after the Arkells on the next wrong hole album.
1: I mean, that's entirely like there's, there's room for artistic license there. And, you know, I'd love to hear what wrong hole does with, uh, the Arkells or, or has to say about the Arkells. but no, like we re- we resolved it. it, it uh, like I was coming to it with uh, some presumptions about like you know they have all these uncredited like black backup singers. They're sort of like amorphous and interchangeable. Like what does that mean? And um, they were saying, well, you know, they're fairly compensated. We do sort of credit them for their work. Um, and they became and were starting to become like more of a, a focal point of their show. Right. Um, and even speaking to some of them, like they, they, they've they ha- had great experiences and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a fine line that they're walking, but it's one that like rock music has, has always had this like relationship where, where a lot of white musicians are sort of taking from black music and... Um it seemed like the conclusion that I kind of came to was that the Arkells were were aware of that history um and trying to not like hurt anybody. Right.
0: Yeah. That's I mean that's a good realization. I uh I that reminds me of um Sharon Jones, you know, was performing with the Dap Kings um probably one of the best live performers uh of like the that early, you know, the 10 years, like maybe 2000 2005 like you'd see Sharon Jones and it would just be this incredible show. I might have my timeline all screwed up, you know, the last one feels like five years, but um, you know, uh, and then of course, Amy Winehouse wound up touring, uh, taking the Dap Kings basically. And then Sharon Jones, I think she was still touring. She may have even done tours with the Dap Kings in between, but the whole thing was that Amy Winehouse, like, you know, ran away with attention. Whereas Sharon Jones, it's amazing, and you know, appreciated on, on on a pretty large level. But there is something there, and I, I would think probably it was the label or producers who had a lot more to do with you know appropriating this group. From okay. sure, uh,
1: what's that? I uh, I don't remember the name of the producer. Um, Ronson, who, yeah, Mark Ronson, yeah. I mean, he's kind of notorious for that. Um, yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that about the Dev Kings that they were the backing band for the Amy Winehouse record.
0: I'm like f- fairly sure that she was, if, she, if they weren't the backing band, they were uh her touring band, you know. Uh, yeah, no that's, that's really interesting, yeah. And if this is not true, I'm going to take the whole thing out of, out of. <laughs> okay. I have a lot of incorrect facts. One time, I started telling my friends that I thought a comedian uh, who I'd, I didn't know was gay was gay because I thought I'd read it in the newspaper. This is a friend of mine. He'd be like, why are you telling people I'm gay? There was no article that said that. And I was like, did I
1: It's it's tough. Like, like, uh, not just like with parsing someone's like, uh, elements of people's backgrounds, but just like, like with navigating like facts, uh, now I just constantly am turning to my phone, um, for confirmation on something. Uh, My, my powers of recollection are terrible. Um, so yeah, I totally get why <laughs> you know if you get if you get going in a conversation how how little like pieces of factual stuff just get like they take hold.
0: I mean the last since the advent of the iPhone, um, rec- recording interviews has become a lot more um, a lot simpler. Even though it's still kind of not it wasn't that simple for a, a long time, but even with the iPhone, but but yeah, I lost uh a fair amount of interviews <laughs> when i was doing them in the early 2000s and it was i had to do a lot of uh i was doing notes you know most of the time but it still was like really would be a nightmare when you'd like go to the thing and you'd be like oh i don't have the audio <laughs> anymore god
1: um yeah, that happened once with like one of the very first stories that I ever wrote um, for a website called Canada Arts Connect. They don't exist anymore, but um, I was interviewing. I went to like this this thing called PopCon. It was it's normally in Seattle at the music museum there, um, but the one year that they had it, it was like twenty twelve or something. Um, they had it in New York, and like all these big names were there, like Carl Wilson and Mara Johnston, and so I went and I spoke to a bunch of critics. Uh, Canadian ones about um, their relationship to like music criticism. And then I lost like one of my biggest interviews. I spoke to an hour with this uh, for an hour with this person and just completely gone off my phone. So ever since then, I've used a different device.
0: Then your phone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. I mean, I I think that the iPhone is uh, is obviously like revolutionary, but I think you need to supplement it with notes or uh a fully different device, but like what's the other device you're using an iPod touch no it's um uh, it's called like a Cowan j three
1: <laughs> um uh no it's it's an ipod shuffle and uh the
0: results are <laughs> touch and go but, know, of the uh of, of the recording is it like a zoom mic you're talking about
1: it's it's no it's like uh i was really like a big um what would you call audio file like nerd uh, i started downloading a lot of like flac recordings at some point but like my mp3 player at the time wouldn't take them so i bought this this uh mp3 player called the Cowen J3 and it has a mic and recording thing in it and this was like 10 years ago but it still works great and the audio quality is pretty awesome
0: there you go for any aspiring people of all sorts Cowen J3
1: I I'd, I'd get a Zoom. I think those those are probably a better get a Zoom.
0: Or go on Zoom and hit the recording thing. But at the same time, consider recording another way because you never know. However, this is the only way I'm recording the interview is via Zoom, so
1: hope if there's any any sort of consistent aspect of, of uh, and reliable aspect of being about being a freelancer, it's uh the uncertainty of your recording technology. So just yeah.
0: You can never have too many. And the timing of uh, scheduled interviews. Yeah, You know, you, you you basically need to keep your afternoon free because you never know if, uh, you know, um, riffraff is going to push back your Q&A about his misdeeds. Oh, I didn't... Hello! Didn't see you there. Hi, I didn't see you there. Hello, this is Nick. I am glad that you're listening still to my interview with Michael Rancic. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, this is the quick part of the podcast where I say, wow, oh no, I'm cold, I'm chilly, I'm freezing, I have no future. Oh, I'm trying to do this artistic, creative work, showcasing and highlighting the many people I think are wonderful, while also trying to do the same about my own skills and talent. We've got to have money to do that. You know, there's a reason Paris Hilton got famous. It's called The Bucks. And I, I, don't, I don't have as many as some. And the more money that we make for this podcast, the more Andy Lloyd, my producer, can get, the more chances we have to uh, invest in gear, uh, invest in all kinds of stuff, as well as just give ourselves pillow money. And, you know, ideally I could pay my guests. That would be the best. Everybody deserves to be compensated when they're providing entertainment for people. And that includes you, the listener. So if you want to support the podcast, help achieve the dreams, uh, ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan, ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan is a great way to make either a monthly or one-time payment. And uh, that would really help. I'm <laughs> planning to launch like a really serious rewards program within that and within the patreon which is patreon.com slash nick bear with me if anyone wants to give me a hand organizationally with that i would really appreciate it uh it's just hard it's just hard juggling all the balls as we know as all of us jugglers know so yeah uh if you can't support the podcast with money or if you don't want to that's totally fine i completely get that um these are crazy times um However, you could subscribe, rate, review it, tell your friends about episodes you like, uh, or you could just listen to it and enjoy it. That would be the final step. I will feel that psychically as well. So really uh, do what you like. Kofi.com slash Nick Flanagan, slash Nick Flanagan. My album, I'm Here All Week, is going to be out on Bandcamp. We're putting that, uh, it's my first album. We're going to make that available on Bandcamp. On uh, revenue, uh, you know, where all the revenue goes to us. So the next Bandcamp Friday, I will have some new product. Um, very exciting. So, back to the interview with Michael Rancic from New Feeling. Uh, okay. So, um, New Feeling. I feel like we should get into some New Feelings. Sure. This is, this is how I roll. By about the three quarters mark, I like to ask about the thing that we <laughs> that we have you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh yeah, new feeling. Um, how did that come about? As I think a collective is a great idea. Um I think we may have worked both both worked freelancing for the same uh well for quite a few of the same publications, but especially have you written for Bandcamp? I think you have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Bandcamp Daily is one of my like uh, I should have probably mentioned them at the beginning, but uh, they're one of my more consistent, like clients or employers now. I
0: worked with them on, on uh, several pieces and I, I really enjoyed working with the editor, Jess Skolnick, who, you know, I, I'd love to have her on, uh, have them on the yeah, yeah. Uh, There I am, uh, you know, stumbling over gendering, but uh, yeah, uh, Jess is just really helpful. Um, I found her, them, they, <laughs> this is humiliating. <laughs> I found them very helpful with uh, just working out the best type of article just comes from a, a real DIY and, and, and punk background and the amount of good stuff being um, put together on Bandcamp Daily blows me away to the extent where I didn't even keep pitching because I think I contributed, you know, the the best piece I wrote was this mouth Congress piece about uh, Scott Thompson and uh Pavelini's old band. And, uh, you know, just just loved that piece. And, and it was a very successful piece. And then I said, peace, I was like, I mean, there's just too much. It's there's so much depth to so many of the stuff. And and you really have to scan the website to really, um, I mean, I think I think that that publication has been a lifeline for a lot of uh, writers and oh yeah. they pay them fairly, which is probably not constant. No. anyway i feel like i interrupted you in the middle of you telling me why
1: oh, no 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 no. but like that's a good segue because uh, like they were up until the pandemic and into the pandemic one of the few places that were reliably letting people write about canadian music in any like interesting way um and a lot of my pitches were going there but like as you know like they take pitches like three months in advance yeah they rammed with ideas, and they have a global audience. So they're not just focused on Canadian artists, they're focused on everybody. And they really like live up to that in a really satisfying way. And and um, but it's frustrating being living here knowing how much great music comes from here. And, um, you know, when the pandemic started, I was like, okay, people are going to stop reaching out asking me for premieres, asking me to review their album. They're going to, you know, there's going to come a point at which um, they'll run out of music because like we're all just sort of locked down. That did not happen. And in fact, I kept getting PR emails, uh, bands reaching out to me directly asking me to write about them. uh, And I was really surprised by it. So when uh, you sort of mentioned it before, when like I lost about like half of my work as a, or more as a freelancer, um, and they announced that um, with Serb, it was like probably a month into it that you could claim a thousand dollars on top of your Serb income. I was like, okay, cool. I will start collecting Serb, and then I will treat it like a wage. And originally, I was thinking, all right, I'll do a Substack. Uh, you know, everyone's starting Substack newsletters um I'll I'll start one too, and I'll treat Serb like a wage. But I I got to the point where I was like, well, if everyone has one, how do I like distinguish myself? How do I stand out in that like yeah chaos of everyone looking for a way to like showcase their writing?
0: It's an issue uh more than ever, and it was also an issue before. You know, uh, yeah. um because in it, it's interesting in the creative world. I think that it's actually one of the most exponentially uh like contagious you know pursuits and and the especially with the uh internet which is such a hey boomer <laughs> okay boomer i like it being hey boomer like it's more kind you know hey boomer but uh you know uh,
1: hey, hey boomer like it's more kind is that right
0: don't worry about it google Uh, it's um uh it's one of those i got really thrown off by the robot talking to me
1: um i'm sorry but that was great though that's like you should invite that google robot to be a part of your like improvised music uh
0: think about that yeah maybe i'll be like you know like like a little like hey google what's the time (laughs) that's that's great you got a call
1: and response classic music structure right there
0: hey hey google hey google what's up
1: i was just checking out the news i can always tell you what's going on all right Google's got their finger on the pulse of, of what's going on. That's great. Um. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. But, but, um, you know, I, I just think that the arts have become, I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Like America truthfully and has had so much luxury for so long that I think a lot of people buy tech doohickeys, and a lot of people, um, well, the work ethic there is so huge and, and, and aspirations are so huge. And, and here it's, it's not much different. Um, Although I think that there is something to Canada where a lot of people do this um, on like a what would the word be like an unstructured, passionate, ambitious, but unclear on where to go kind of kind of manner, you know, and I, I do think that probably extends to freelance writing like I never really knew uh, where where quite where to, where to take it. And I was doing obviously singing in bands and stand up comedy and writing for. TV stuff. So it wasn't something that was I could become as dedicated to, but but
1: there are like paths, but like they're very limited. Like if you want to be somebody who makes a living off of writing, like you gotta be somebody who's well versed in in everything. Um like somebody who sort of weighs in at like Hazlitt and Walrus and is a regular sort of columnist at the Globe and Mail. Like those are the sorts of people who who can make their living as 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 writers, but um that's like the really well established path but for people outside of that it's very difficult to to unless you find like a staff position and even those are, are sort of hard to come by um but yeah it's really difficult to find a way to make that work
0: uh yeah so so that was you know once you got to the sub stack in terms
1: yeah yeah, uh, so I, I was like, okay, well, instead of me doing something on my own, uh, why don't I see if other people, like, we're all in the same situation. Uh, why don't I see if other people are interested in doing something uh, as well? So I put out a call on Twitter, and it coincided with um, Simone Schmidt had put out a tweet saying that, like, Canadian music writers should collect CERB and write about Canadian music. And I was like, perfect. Uh, this is This is a great... Um, model uh, you know who wants to join me in, in taking this on and, and doing this and about six people responded um, and, and for like uh, so uh, Paul Lawton, Jesse Locke, uh, Laura Stanley, Katarina um uh, myself and Tom Beatum uh, to sort of start and that was like the first six and and uh, uh, from there we've grown uh, to like close to like 17 um, between us and our, our steering committee. But basically, yeah, I put it out there to see if other people would be interested in, in forming some sort of writer's collective. And, you know, starting at first, it was just like, who wants to just start a basic medium blog or blog spot or something just where we can write. And then it kind of ballooned into into organizing ourselves as a cooperative. So first it was like, okay, we're a collective, what does that mean? And then I started looking into different ways that we could organize ourselves. And historically uh, cooperatives have been a model for people to sort of explore um, during economic uncertainty. And when there's a dissatisfaction with what's being offered um, in the sort of immediate climate of, the interest in which you want to start a cooperative so in the the example of like mountain equipment Mm -hmm. co-op those guys starting that place in 1971 um and they did it because they couldn't get the gear that they wanted to ascend stupidly large uh rock faces uh in british columbia Uh, they had to get it from seattle so they're like let's start a cooperative uh and kind of make that work here
0: right yeah and that's uh unfortunately you know now they're in this they just sold or something. They're trying to stop it. I think they made a GoFundMe or something. It's, it's a real shame because there was a thrill. Nobody talks about the thrill of the co-op. You go to a large co-op, you buy the membership. You're a shareholder, technically.
1: You own part of the business, yeah. yeah.
0: And then in the real ones, like Karma Co-op, which is one of the earliest uh, food co-ops, in, again, in the city at least, and uh, down the street from my area, uh, you know, you'd work there. You'd go, oh, I'm doing three hours there so I can go there and buy some food, you know. Um, And uh, how are you applying the co-op idea to a collective like this? How does the co-op apply to freelancing um, in this case? Are you guys uh, take turns doing meal prep? Uh, Kind of. I mean, so we cycle through roles. Um,
1: We 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 kind of like are organizing ourselves um, like without a hierarchy. So uh, there are these overlapping flat working groups. uh, Everything from uh, editorial. Uh, to more background stuff like the, the website itself to the uh, a working group that oversees the organization and, and it's like structure. Um, these are voluntary. So depending on how much you can actually chip in because we can't uh, compensate people yet, otherwise through ownership um, that uh, you know, depending on how much time you have and, and what your interests are, you can join one of these working groups. There's six in total. Um, and uh contribute your, your, your labor. So for the editorial working group, that's like planning out our, our monthly. So we publish monthly, uh, we have themes and then the features sort of fit into that theme. So it's, it's planning those soliciting pitches from people, uh, for the organizational side. I'm, I'm in that, um, working group. So we've been busy, um, putting together a steering committee and they're helping kind of guide and advise us in this early early stage uh heading toward incorporation and then our first ideally like annual general meeting sometime in the new year um and then they'll sort of transition those roles into elected board members once we're like fully a a functioning cooperative
0: so um the idea is to i i'm assuming eventually get to sort of compensation because that's such a key part with with freelancing and and what are uh you know do you have a a a plan for that do you have people sort of walking you through that and do you have uh, a timeline for that we're
1: so uh, there's no like timeline uh because um we're still working through those early details um there's different routes that we can take so there's grants available to us as like a Canadian arts organization, but for magazines or any sort of like print publication, often that means that you have had to have been publishing for at least two years in order to start like even applying for that money. Uh, so that's not like an immediate um, form of compensation. Uh, we are looking at, so we, we are calling ourselves a multi-stakeholder cooperative. So that means like we have different kinds of membership. So um, one kind is the Uh, organizing body that's myself that's all of the people who have founded New Feeling the people involved in running it every day Um, uh, and then there's like another tier that's like writers so once we branch out and start adding people who can't necessarily contribute their labor day-to-day but want to contribute writing um, that would be a tier for them and then we're thinking of having like a community tier in which you you pay like through our Patreon, like five bucks once, and then you're a member for like a year. Um, and so we're exploring like how we can incorporate a subscription model with membership yeah. um, as one avenue. Um, we're trying to be, we're trying not to have like too many ads or anything. So we're still sort of like navigating through this and, and figuring it all out. And, and I think, um, one of the areas that we haven't fully explored yet is that there's also like grants and funding available for cooperatives. Um, that's kind of the beauty of this model is that it's very community based. And so other cooperatives actually like give grants or help fund like the, help provide seed funding
0: for new cooperatives. That's amazing to me. To me, that's something that I think you could apply towards the future in so many different manners. Yeah. And you were talking about the grant thing. Sorry to, to uh, break in here, but I've got, I'm brainstorming for you here, man. I got all kinds of ideas. But it's like, well, uh, my biggest issue right now with what's going on uh, now, this is nationally with, with Canada, is just that we're really in the moment. We're, we're, it seems like we're operating somewhat in the moment, you know, as in terms of COVID, uh, like how nobody seems to be properly saying that things are extremely different now, except. That freelancers, for instance, were not eligible for unemployment insurance. Uh, there were certain other restrictions and, and things, and that's now um, uh, been what do they call it? Uh, they, that's been removed. Now, now, now we can have uh, employment insurance. It's a huge victory. You know, it's it's something that needed to happen a long time ago. But now it's extra confusing because we never have paid into unemployment because they never included it in unemployment so you know it's it's something that needs to be fixed almost immediately and again this is going to be heavily on companies to absorb and uh and writers too you know we'll get that taken out but um you know just just venues are not going to serve like people don't seem to understand to me that, like the voluntary nature of going out is is going to, is kicking in whether or not we you know we don't have a like whether we have 200 cases or like 2,000 cases like people aren't going to want a day you know like people aren't going to want a lot of you're going to lose a lot of people um now metaphorically and unfortunately literally you know and and so there needs to be something in place like that's what's so funny is canada is already you know spending trillions of dollars i'm assuming just to keep the populace alive but they're gonna have much double their spending to actually keep the businesses alive that the populace can give the money that they're being given by the government i mean it sounds ridiculous but the fact is if we have that extra time we and especially if we have the ability to make more money like we we can probably make this economy work we just really need to save independent businesses or we're we're screwed you know and and unless we all go completely because if, if you don't save the businesses, it's going to manifest in some other manner anyway. Like maybe every suddenly the underground will exist again. It used to be, you know, it used to be just the alt right that were in the underground <laughs> when the underground went away and it just became racist people. I do. Yeah. Reddit. Yeah. That was terrible. No, I mean, it's still what's going on. Like we everything got monetized, you know, and then suddenly with um, mass kind of people just being finally the realization that so many people were being so egregiously awful, they've been finally de-platformed, whatever you want to call it, but that's actually the only underground, pretty much. You know, and, and again, um, I think that what you're trying to do with New Feeling is really important and to highlight Canadian music because um, I was part of a very vibrant, like, scene, at, at well, various ones, but but the the punk and hardcore scene uh, of of the era that I was in, it was really incredible because it was actually pretty much worldwide. Definitely Canadian and North American, um, uh, uh, sorry, Canadian and Americans working very closely together, whether it was like mm-hmm. Richmond and the bands there, uh, like Government Warning and even Municipal Waste and, and um, you know, bands in Boston, bands in Minnesota, bands in L.A., and and New York um and then all the stuff in in Canada in Austin and and all the stuff in Toronto and Montreal and Winnipeg and Calgary and you know it really was uh in Vancouver like all we all felt pretty connected and i it just seemed like because of the pro- proliferation and the extreme online-ness of the years let's say 2011 onward and and bands like fucked up becoming larger and larger and uh you know giving platforms suddenly to everybody from like doom squad to uh jennifer castle to uh like lots of but it actually grew out of punk and hardcore but then here we had bands like you know vcr you mentioned and uh what's that band i love uh uh walmart and uh uh you know cell phone even like all these really interesting bands but it didn't feel like there was a centralized uh, place for them, or if there was, it would not last long. Like not dead yet, for instance, productions which I was like involved in on like a I don't know what you call it door guy, basically merch guy. Sometimes I think that's how we met. Yes, I remember at the Garrison, and it was the Garrison, right? Garrison, or uh, there was a show um, that's
1: like the '80s Toronto hardcore thing. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that, and... was at, uh, that was at
0: that was at whatever Hard Luck. Yes. Um, but but yeah um I mean I think you started being at a few different shows you and Tom beat him as well and both of you have interviewed you know I think we'd had more than one kind of interaction writing you were very kind to me and you know so was Tom and uh but but uh yeah sorry I, I was just I, I'm on a really long tangent here and, and uh it, it's just something where would you agree with that that there was sort of a decentralizing in in the city of, of certain scenes that was kind of weird because although like the it almost felt like the entire city's profile had been raised mm. and that with venues sort of closing down and not dead yet shifting to more traditional venues you know so instead of uh there was shibijibis which was essentially like a place where you know what I'm starting to realize as I'm telling this is that I'm just too old to know where people were doing this.
1: No, no, I think you're you're right. But I think it happened a little bit more slowly. Like, I started paying attention, like, a lot of attention to punk in Toronto around, like, 2011, 2012. Um, and that's when I was really enamored with it. And, um, you know, going to the those earlier Not Dead Yets, um, it definitely felt like there was still a semblance of global community there you'd have punks coming up from like chile or uh mexico uh people coming all the way from like germany and stuff like this and this is like that was not dead yet was the time when they would all see each other Uh, so it had a very familial kind of vibe which uh was unique for the time but yeah a lot of that stuff started to get like eroded um And yeah, the loss of venues certainly made it more difficult for somebody like Greg to be that or in Chardet, uh, to be those like community like pillars.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, both of the people you just mentioned, like, I think that Greg from not dead yet is is and his band shit, you know, which is a great hardcore band. they were definitely took that and ran with it and created a uh uh you know kept that wave going i mean from not dead yet watching that shift like fucked up did their fucked up weekend in the mm-hmm. late uh you know 2000 say 2007 starting and their halloween shows and Um, Greg started, I guess, getting in organizationally on that and suddenly, and then he had his stuck in the city blog, which was telling you about shows. And I think that that's another thing that's, you know, really worth mentioning in all of this is that like, even in the late nineties, there was something called the hardcore hotline. It was a phone number you would call and you would get Dara Hayes, who's uh, instrumental in uh, a lot of nineties, Toronto house shows. Punk booking, really interesting guy. Uh, he um, would tell you what shows were happening, That's so cool. <laughs> what shows were happening, and then he'd say it on the Hardcore Hotline. And uh, you know, even there was Mods and Rockers on CIUT, which was uh, a punk uh, and uh, most a pop punk mostly, but but a punk show. And uh, and uh, Damien Abraham from Fucked Up wound up. Hosting that for a period of time, George I think, was on it, and uh, you know that that wound up leading into something like Stuck in the City, which was a show database where you really knew what was going, um, like what type of music or what type of mentality, you know, this music, th- these shows would have, you know, and. I think as the amount, just the sheer amount of things that we were being presented, it was harder to kind of register that. And also, like, to for for websites to sustain themselves, a lot of the time they need to kind of broaden what they are, you know. So so you have these like mechanical sound forest, or there's a lot of the quietest, you know. These are these are what would maybe be more just like punk stuff at one point, or or more like zines. Um, really had to fan their thing out, which is. You know, I think The Quietest is a really um, underrated uh, publication. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're one of the few that still, like, really do, like, a long-form
1: record review in a really nice, like, thoughtful way. Um, Yeah, they were real instrumental to me, um, just reading that and having, like, a different sort of perspective. Because, like, I I didn't really care about a lot of, like, the British press. Like, they seemed too enamored with their own, like, Brit pop but Quietus seemed distance from that And a little bit artier And uh, weirder uh, Maybe like a step Or two away From like Wire magazine But still like Interested in, in New curious Kinds of music
0: I mean I had that I had I, We Our first European tour We, we stopped in um, England And Scotland As well as Wales And we did A little bit We did a Vice interview And then we got I feel like we got a couple of pieces of coverage for, for shows we did and the, the quietest like reviewed us or something. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I, I discovered that Europe touring Europe, the shows outside of the UK would be incredible. Um, but they wouldn't necessarily widen your, your fan beyond the punk scene. Like you would get new fans from having seen you live or whatever, but, it wouldn't be just like, you know, buzz or whatever you'd call it. But as soon as we played the UK, most of which shows nobody moved, some of which nobody was at, you know, the press that we got like to increase our overall visibility, you know? So that was interesting to me. And then, as I said, like, it's only been in the last maybe 10 years that I've really understood the um, incredible intelligence behind so much british work like so much british music so much british cultural trends uh, or i should say uk like it's not just english you know but um and it really made me rethink a lot of things like you hear something like pulp and you just like the things that go into pulp existing you know like the influences and everything you know even with fred perry i'm frustrated now that the Proud boys are being associated with this fred perry year not that i think fred perry is like the coolest label but or a clothing label, but I mean, it, you can track its use back to like, probably Jamaica, probably like rude boys to sharps, you know, skinheads against anti-racism, uh, sorry, skinheads harboring anti-racist beliefs. I That's not what it stands for, but you know, uh, they're not racist. There are, uh, there are a great deal of skinheads who are anti-racist and, and, uh, you know so so yeah like the uk is uh is actually like a real hub of, of this kind of stuff and, and the quietest you know is to me like a great example of that as you said and don't forget mojo magazine
1: i have forgotten mojo magazine i, I haven't read mojo in a very you long time do get
0: bad there was a period where mojo was really good uh,
1: uh yeah i just like i, I don't know I, I just don't have like a attention span for the UK press for some reason. Uh, yeah. Some
0: people are like that with UK comedians or UK television.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's something about it that I don't like there. There's like, it's always like Pink Floyd on the cover or Oasis or like, <laughs> like those like dad magazines. I think that's Mojo. Maybe I'm mistaking them for someone else, oh, but um, Mojo
0: was like, a it, it, it was maybe not a, cl- like I would, I wouldn't say it was like a classic raw. It wasn't musician magazine or something. It was, it was mostly covering um older music and yeah they would have really big people on the cover but you know just like all of these scenes you start understanding it's like the same 15 to 30 people who are responsible for entire waves and you get to hear their stories and and uh i just think that that's really interesting and i'm telling you man maybe for christmas you're or perhaps whatever you're celebrating
1: here. i will thank you for being sensitive to my
0: you you will get subscription to mojo online mojo.com probably too. I'll, I'll put it on,
1: on my, my wish list yes thank you uh yeah uh but i guess like going back to your point before about how things have sort of changed i was just after you said that i was thinking about like I, a lot of it seemed to to happen with like the consolidation of of media that was available and just like the shutting like you know chart
0: attack wasn't great but i think you you wrote there or you, did you also write for them or? i probably wrote a few things for chart and i definitely did uh some once they got into their like video stuff i did a few different really fun video things i mean i did this interview with mac demarco that like had a lot of views right But all of his fans wrote really mean things about youtube crazy like one of them was really like the reporter eats turds or something and someone's like, i can see that. this guy's like Nardwar but trying too hard that's like a shoddy version of Nardwar, and i just wanted to be like i put on the first evaporator show in toronto when i was 13 <laughs> at sneaky d's give me a Wish break that. Nardwar shouts me out every time <laughs> Yeah,
1: uh no,
0: I remember you did like a red carpet for the players, didn't yes, you? Yes, that was it. And I got to interview Buffy Sainte-Marie uh oh, wow. on the the second time I, I went there and uh she had the greatest energy. She just had such an insanely youthful energy. It was yeah. it was just amazing, you know.
1: I haven't been lucky enough to meet her, but uh, she's definitely on my list of people that I want to interview. Yeah, with.
0: I you should. I mean, I, I really hope that, you know, with your showcasing this new feeling, um, because this is just something I'm, I'm somewhat uh, superficially aware of, but I'd love to know deeper. And I think it would be a great band camp piece if there hasn't been one, but the indigenous uh, musical renaissance in a sense of, uh, uh, renaissance in a sense, of uh, you know the last uh, few years you know or eight years ten years like they're entirely new guard there and it's like it's almost like Quebec where there's an element of it being self-contained just because of the hunger from it from for it from its own community but the difference is it's not weird you know um, like it's not grim skunk or it's not like it's not Quebec it's like it's not even just Tribe Called Red, like, it goes deep. And a lot of it does have to do with hip hop, but a lot of it doesn't, you know? And, yeah. Uh, I, I just really...
1: Leanne and Ainsley, Ainsley Simpson, like, uh, two great, very different artists, sisters, uh, but, like, uh, one does sort of, like, spoken word, like, poetry, sort of, like, ambient stuff, and, and Ainsley does more, like, folksy acoustic stuff. There's, there's, yeah, such a tremendous, like, threshold, especially, like, among, like, new, emerging artists. Um, like uh, in the electronic sphere, hip hop for sure. Yeah. It's, it's a really exciting time for that.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, really with Canada in terms of getting us to where I feel like the country needs to go because it's where it's going anyway, I really think handing a lot of the the way that in the U S some of the most exciting politicians are, um, people of color, but especially, you know, African-American people, uh, and, uh, you know, hand the reins to Indigenous people for, for many different things here, not just because it's something that you should do, but because there's a real vibrancy to what's going on uh, in the culture and community. And I think there's an understanding of uh, the need for representation, probably, among all of that. And that, by the way, white people listening includes you. It's just not more. <laughs>
1: and and yeah and and i think that that would be meaningful uh to to you know have more indigenous people involved in like more forms of decision making in the music industry like period um like not beyond like representation but yeah i think like in and even just speaking like from a journalism sense like i'd love to have more uh, indigenous voices involved with uh new feeling um and you know i i think Coming from that experience, they're really the only people who can write about it in a in a way that I think will do that music justice.
0: Well, that's interesting because you know when you do get into the context of why things exist, you know you you people aren't going to uh, you know like uh, fucking. Roger Ebert to find out why the New York, how the New York Dolls came to be, you know, they're, they're reading Please Kill Me, where it's like an oral history of that, you know, and you get a much greater uh, sense, not so much of um, whether you like or dislike the music, but of how the music came to be, which often finding that out makes you appreciate the music more. I mean, I remember, I read this book about Leonard Cohen called uh, I'm Your Man. And it's a, it's a biography of him. And uh, it was going through his discography in a sense. And, and that it was the one where I was like, oh, all the records, like I thought were bad or that i liked when I was young, like the the later stuff I liked when I was young, but then when I got, you know, into my twenties, I was like, oh, I like the older stuff. Suddenly it made me see the whole of it, you know? And obviously some people, the whole of Leonard Cohen to them, is not what they want but you know getting to do that in various contexts you know is is pretty neat you know there's there's a lot of performers who are like that like neil young on some level is like that uh um i mean you could just like keep going
1: george clinton i read i read his book um
0: yeah i never read his book. yeah
1: it's a it's a pretty he's not like amazing writer but just hearing these stories about like where he started like they, they founded the parliaments and like a barber shop uh, and they all cut hair. right? Oh, uh, yeah, and,
0: I mean, uh, Tales from the Tour Bus, the second season, it's all funk, you know. And, and yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, like, just hearing how they went from there, like, he started, he, he ended up being, like, a songwriter in the Brill Building in New York. And, like, right. uh, just that, that history there, it's it sort of glossed over when you think about Parliament or Funkadelic, just because they're, they're their own, like, world. Um, but, like, there's real history there that kind of helps situate them in, and also sort of show how like that music is really left out of like, when you talk about like classic rock, like they don't play Funkadelic or Parliament, even though they were like some of the heaviest bands of their time. Yeah, was it
0: Bernie Worrell? whose uh, guitar? Was he the one? The, I mean, like the, the guitar on the, the Funkadelic records, especially uh, maggot brain and stuff is just, it, it's unbelievable, you know, and it's fun. Eddie Hazel. Yeah. Eddie Hazel. And, and uh, you hear like Van Halen, like eruption or something. And like, Mm there is something tied between some of the stuff Funkadelic was doing there. And, um, you know, there's also, you go further into it and you get into, you know, what Roger Troutman who is a member of parliament then did with Zap, Mm -hmm. Pogbox and that impact on hip hop and funk and current R and B is just, incredible. And of course, that's, that's probably why I've always loved uh, hip hop so much. And it is because it would reference. Yes, sampling inherently references uh, music, like I I'd heard there's a song I like. Uh, I think it's, it's, I think this is the right song to sample. But it's really old. It's it's by shine, uh, who shot up the nightclub with Puffy famously he was his protege after Biggie. And then went to jail and it was kind of over for shine. And initially he was written off cause he just had a deep voice like Biggie and, and Puffy had taken him on, but his one single bad boys with Barrington Levy is just so good. And I heard this song recently. It was on, it was on my Spotify discover weekly podcast podcast, whatever playlist. And uh, it was a cover of "Nightclubbing" by Iggy pop, but it was uh, Grace Jones did this. Right. And that, sample at the beat like the there's a there's a kind of big piano or keyboard or something off the top and that was sampled in that song bad boy so like making that synaptic connection and it sort of connecting to like uh you know a black musician who sometimes exists a bit external of like what people might think uh when they think about i think grace jones has gotten her day now but you never would have been talking about Grace Jones, you know, like necessi- well, maybe I'm wrong, because Pulp to my bumper was like Patra covered that in the 1990s just to bring up Patra for a moment. I think
1: like, I think she's sort of like maybe due for, for a, a, reapp- a reappraisal. I think people appreciate her, but I don't think people quite know exactly how influential her music was.
0: Yeah, maybe I mean, I know that she has a, certainly like a stylistic uh re like people are just crazy for her vibe you know women especially i think uh are, are but but yes in terms of like uh uh like examining her her just dis- like her music and the uh, really her it seems like she's got a lot of covers and kind of like checking out her work as as covers you know that's like as important too and um Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I butted in at the end of you talking about new feeling and Oh, you know, we were talking about compensating people and and future plans and,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, no, you didn't butt in, but I mean, where do you want? Uh, so I guess we've talked a bit about the structure of it and like that we're non-hierarchical and, uh, right now everyone, there's, it's just, there's no seed funding. It's just everyone putting in whatever time that they have uh, to this thing. Uh, we're, Publishing issues monthly, but we're still still like busy building the background of this thing and what it looks like And we want it to be sort of iterative Um, you know, we want it to be a dialogue with our audience and that's kind of why we are thinking of building in that community component into the cooperative itself because as Writers we have very different interests than our community might and those are often conflicting things, but uh, There there are room there's room for um, us to sort of come together and and I think that that influence will take us in really interesting directions um and uh, I'm trying to think of um, yeah, so we, we uh, In terms of being iterative like um, one of the first things that you do when you start a cooperative is you put you, you uh, Do a survey you do like a needs assessment of whether or not the idea that you have is actually viable uh, and people want it um, And so we put out a survey back in June, and we got about like 150 some odd responses. Um, The results of that are going to be published in our next issue, which comes out October 15th. Um, And it's really kind of helped confirm a lot of things for us in terms of our feeling about like people wanting more coverage of Canadian musicians and artists because they're not seeing it in mainstream media. Um, But then it's also helping inform things like you know, our, our monthly timetable uh, and, and, and publishing schedule, um, how we uh, pa- package and tell certain stories. So people really hated Q&As, so we're not really going to publish many Q&As and see how that goes.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So yeah, have an article that sort of refers to interviews, but doesn't, isn't a direct interview? Yeah, it'll be more like like
1: feature written sort of like written through sort of profiles with with uh more of the author's sort of take on like how the music sounds and the person's background and then pulling in and incorporating quotes from the interview that way. That
0: sounds that you know the whole Q&A format again it seems like that's you know I watched something yesterday that was Ghostface Killer just like talking to a camera about why he and Riza, you know, like how it is working together, even though they've like, he sued them, you know? And mm-hmm. that's something you might have seen in a Q and A at some point, but if you have the option of seeing Ghost to Killer deliver a monologue about why that is, I mean, that's preferable. And you've got DJ, you know, Vlad, like you have a million versions of that. So I think, you know, and, and because maybe people view misquoting or editing in a, in a different way, which I think is a bit of a baby, throwing out the baby with the bathwater situation, which I've never done. Uh, Not I don't have a baby, but- um, Not anymore. Uh, but it wasn't the bathwater that I threw it out. And, uh, uh, you know, because you read like those Vanity Fair interviews that I think David Marchese did with uh, um, Quincy Jones and uh, there was someone else. I mean, he's, he's interviewed a lot of people and it's so key how he's editing that together. Yeah. Yeah. So, and but obviously people are saying that to you guys because that's what they want from you. So it doesn't really matter, you know, what
1: yeah, yeah. It's nice to have that confirmation because like as writers, that's kind of like the stuff that we're excited about writing. Like Q and A's are a bit easier to sort of like toss off, I think. Like, you know, you just basically have to transcribe your conversation and then hit publish. But I think people don't necessarily find those as engaging because you're not getting as much context. Yeah uh things which is important and that's one of the things that was sort of highlighted in the in the uh responses from this survey as well was was really people are looking for context so talking about the scene a band comes from uh more more scene profiles people are interested in having because we're, we're missing that like we're getting a lot in our media of like vancouver toronto montreal but not a lot of the rest of the country. And there's a lot of very interesting stuff happening all over now. Like for Bandcamp, I just wrote a uh, piece of basically uh, introducing the PEI punk scene um, to people uh, because it's it's thriving right now.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. And I also think that, um, you know, those small cities, whether it's like Athens, Georgia, or... uh, i mean in in the nineties, I used to think Ottawa was like really cool because there was this venue called Five Arlington, and all of these cool bands were from there, and there was Union of Uranus and uh Zines that came out of there, and Birdman Records, which was this great record store there, and Shotmaker was one of my favorite bands, and they were from there and uh you know and 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 that's something that uh sometimes you lose like you said when you focus on on these other places um and again that's something that i think Bandcamp is uh quite successful at when they uh with a lot of their pieces which are about countries regions genres you know and on a very micro level a lot of the time you know and 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 so yeah the more you can do that the better um where can people uh find like like where can they get a hold of new feelings like
1: Okay, so uh, newfeeling.ca is our URL, uh, and then we're on Twitter and Instagram with the same username, uh, newfeeling, C-O-O-P, uh, co-op, newfeeling co-op.
0: Um, and and where what ideally, where do you see it in one year? Uh, in
1: one year, hopefully, uh, we have a funding source so we can start paying people to c- contribute to us. Um Some of the things that we're working toward are incorporation. So just becoming like a fully functioning cooperative. Um, and one of the nice things about being like a, like a horizontal organization and and having no built in hierarchy is that we can sort of cycle through roles. So I hope in a year that I'm doing something very completely different from what I'm doing right now, because the beauty of this model is that, uh, people with different areas of experience, um, can try stuff out and be supported by someone like Jesse Locke who's edited at many different places like Weird Canada or Ox TV um, or Laura Stanley who's who's edited for Exclaim uh, and then have those skills be imparted to them and then take on those roles and still have to be supported uh, by those people um, but have like the shot to actually like try those skills out. So that's kind of the, the ideal would be, you know, still publishing regularly and uh, paying people for their work and um, yeah, working on, focusing on a completely different aspect of the the cooperative.
0: Um, and now I would like to give, have you, give you a little survey and say, you know, in a year, what would, what would you like, like to see me be doing? Uh,
1: I would like, to see uh, you be doing this podcast uh, live to a crowd of thousands of people, close a uh, packed. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, selling tons of of, of merch and 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 uh, um, you know, uh, cutting a CD of everyone's favorite
0: um, <laughs> improvised jams. <laughs> Ooh, that's good! Bandcamp Friday, improvised jams. That's my love thing. it. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, This has been great, and I don't want to take up any more of your time. Uh, Thanks. I'm I'm
1: happy to be on the show, and I'm honored that you asked, Nick. So, uh, yeah, this has been a delight. I
0: think what you're doing is great. I think a co-op and a collective is really important. And I think, you know, not to get all funny about Canada, but I think that there is a uh, potential for our country if we actually pull up our, uh, I don't know, if we actually just like, follow are the best parts of our history to um be like a bit of an example for real without just kind of not just a superficial example of of uh you know socialized uh socialized individualism but <laughs> but you know a real a real place where people are able to be comfortable and also express themselves and also you know be do sustainable things and 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 uh uh like not take more than we need but give and and give as much as we can
1: 100, <laughs> yeah. Like, like to your point before about um uh, like the, the the income supplements that they've been kind of handing out and and making that more of a of an ongoing thing and and seeing you know the dip diff- like this is unprecedented in the way that people are being supported by the the government right now, um, and people like me and the rest of uh, the co-founders of New Feeling, uh, this is giving us an opportunity to try something out and and be experimental and uh, take risks. And, you know, th- this pandemic is terrible, but I think if we come out of it, um, it would be nice to come out of it in, in a, looking a little bit differently and maybe th- rethinking what our priorities are. And I think you're absolutely right about um, that we can sort of model uh, that looks like with
0: so many older people vulnerable right now i think it's also really important to try and um secure stories and interviews from from that era and that definitely includes canada because there's a lot of people who have done a lot of stuff and uh they're um it's kind of a secret history and you know i love a good secret history it's just like you know let's get it out there a little bit so people know know what's up Ah, <laughs> okay, buddy, I gotta go. Thank you. How
1: you end every, every interview with like a big, big sigh.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a mindful move I like to pull. This was not a negative sigh. Don't act like my S.O. She's always like, what was that sigh? <laughs> it was because I just wanted to let go of the moment, you know, breathe it out. Yeah. And I'm not criticizing you i'll try Uh, yes i'm not i'm not not offended all right buddy Um, talk soon and you know um be well stay safe thank you you too yeah baby that was michael rancic king of freelance journalism uh great husband I hope. And uh, co founder of the New Feeling Collective. I think New Feeling sounds amazing. I really have high hopes for it. I think it's got an ethos that we all really need to feel. Um, you know, the whole punk rock stuff, especially in the 2000s, I started seeing so much sophistication with it, so much organization, particularly in Europe, but also in North America. People like Timmy Hefner uh, were promoting so many punk rock shows in so many visible yet DIY ways. It was amazing. And a lot of the politics behind it were really cool. And I think cooperatives and, uh, you know, ground up things. And I don't mean things that have been in a grinder or been on grinder. I'm talking about just like things being done from the ground up are huge and are just so key right now. Look, if we take the hit and bad things happen money wise to all of us, let's try to grassroots make cool shit because i am sick of the man here's my impression of the man hey you want five dollars you got to give me everything you've ever dreamed of give me your dreams yes here's i need five dollars here's my dreams not fair let's figure out a new way october 15th is the um next episode next episode The next issue of New Feeling. So if you're listening to this before October 15th, circle your calendars, circle your iCal. And if you're listening to it after, go right to newfeeling.ca. Check it out. And he's there is no sound, there was no sound on Twitter as well as Instagram. So thank you for coming on, Michael Ransom. And thank you for listening, people of various names. This has been Nick Flanagan Weekly. I will see you soon. Nick Flanagan Weekly Nick Flanagan weekly